this time it's a family affair Welcome to the first ever episode, sort of, of The Cast of Us, an untitled HBO's The Last of Us podcast, where each week, two best friends will be reviewing and recapping The Last of Us on HBO, one who is obsessed with the game, one who has never played it before. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Yes, and as I joked, I think in the uh, review of our regular uh, for the regular show, um, you know, no fungus here. I, I don't have any fungus problems. Good, good. No cordyceps good, yeah. cream needed. <laughs> um, if you've never uh, listened or watched to one of our podcasts before, uh, I am Matt Rohrbeck. That is Eric Marchin. Uh, we are the hosts of two podcasts called the Untitled Movie Podcast and Untitled Movie Reviews. Uh, I am the guy who is obsessed with the game The Last of Us. Eric is the guy who had never played The Last of Us but has heard me uh, yell about it for the last uh, decade or so. Uh, and the day is finally here. Uh, the first episode of HBO's The Last of Us has premiered. Uh, Eric and I are going to be breaking it down uh, beat by beat, uh, talking about you know what we loved the most, what we kind of didn't like, uh, my comparisons to what happened in the game versus uh, what they're doing in the show. Um, and like Eric mentioned, we have a review, a spoiler-free review uh, for the entire first season of The Last of Us. Yes, we have seen every episode, but don't worry. Each episode will only focus on the episode that just aired. We will not be talking about future episodes, uh, so don't worry about spoilers or anything like that. Uh, but if you want a spoiler-free review, you can check out that review. It's both on this channel, The Cast of Us, as uh, the kind of episode before, before the first episode, or you can go over to Untitled Movie Reviews and check that out. Eric, yes. episode season one, episode one, how you feeling? I'm feeling good, Matt. I'm feeling ready to talk about this show and break it down. And as you mentioned, there will be no spoilers for future episodes, but we will be discussing the episode uh, that is being reviewed. So episode one, we will be breaking it down beat by beat. So if you have not watched it yet, please go do so and then come it back. It just finished airing. It's yes. on Crave in Canada. It's on HBO and HBO Max in the U.S., uh, please go watch it and then come back and we're going to be breaking everything down. But if you're here, you probably just finished watching the episode, uh, just like uh, Eric and I have. Uh, I literally just finished moments ago and we're recording this. Um, I cannot wait to kind of get into it. Eric, how do you want to start this? Should we just start from the beginning? And you, Do you want me to recap it? Do you want to I think through, you or? should be the man okay. to recap it, but I also want to wish you a happy outbreak day because that's where uh, we're starting. Kind of. We are not starting on Outbreak Day. We are starting in, let's get into it. We are starting in 1968 on an unnamed ABC talk show. And Eric, I'm telling you right away, I'm like, oh my God, this is not in the game at all. And I'm excited because like going into this, I have no idea what to expect, right? Like I'm a huge fan of the game. I mentioned this on a review. Um, I... I now know how book people feel. I don't read books really. Like I read graphic novels sometimes. I'll read the odd novel here and there. Uh, but people who get their favorite novel adapted into a movie, I now know, or a TV show, I now know how those people feel because right away you're going, oh my God, I have so many expectations in my head. I've played this game numerous times. I've obsessed over who should play which characters and how they should tackle it. And it's finally getting done. And then the moment it starts, it starts in 1968. And I'm like, 
oh my God, okay, I'm a strap in. I'm going to get some stuff that I am not expecting. And that is going to be a great thing. I'm telling you. So we start on this ABC talk show. You have um, uh, Josh Brenner, who a lot of people would know from Silicon Valley as the host of this talk show, uh, kind of talking about um, with uh, epidemiologists, right? Is yes. that yeah. the correct term? So he has a couple epidemiologists on the show, and they're talking about uh, viral outbreaks and what could potentially um, become a pandemic if a viral outbreak uh gets transferred on a plane over to from one country over to the United States. It can be there in weeks and things like that and how something can infect us all and we can all become sick, um, which is hits a little close to home, right? Right. Off it strikes the a nerve. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, we've talked about this a lot of, of, you know, we're still in a pandemic right now. Um, and having this type of stuff, you sometimes want to escape from that when you're watching television and movies because you're you were living through not necessarily what we're going to get into in this show but you know it, it does really hit the home because of that and right away i was just like oh my god okay this is going to be a lot um and then it goes over to the conversation uh from one of the doctors to the other and he starts talking about how he's not afraid of, of viral infections he's like that is going to happen we have you know vaccines and different things that can that get that a lot of people are going to get sick but um we can kind of handle that what he's really afraid of are fungal infections <laughs> um and how that could potentially what happens is like uh fungus takes over he he uses ant to describe it um and how it takes over and controls and and gets into the ant's brain and controls the ant like a puppet and how the only thing it wants is to spread this infection um, over to everything and um, which I think is really interesting and he talks about that yes this can't happen in humans because our body temperatures are too high and, and the fungus can't live inside of humans so it's not necessarily something we have to worry about right now but I love the line that he goes like but if the world was to become one degree warmer he's like it's not outside the realm of possibility and I love bringing in like global warming right away and he drops a bunch of different kind of funguses and things like that and right away if you're a fan of the game you hear the word cordyceps and you're like oh my god it's happening <laughs> this show is actually here um and it's depressing and and unsettling and you can see the audience kind of go when he's describing what could happen if this if this does happen um, but I thought it was such an awesome way to give exposition and kind of set up the show. I don't know how you felt. Yeah. I think, uh, John, um, Hannah, who plays, uh, the epidemiologist who specializes in, uh, fungus, who a lot of people, um, in our age range will remember him from, uh, the, the mummy movies with Brendan Fraser. He played, uh, Rachel Vice's sister, a uh, brother, uh, pardon me, uh, <laughs> in, 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 in that, in that series. And he's kind of, um, the, the comedic relief. And so with this, you're getting a guy who has, you know, like there's, there's an interesting piece of casting there where you're watching an actor who's known for comedy, giving us this exposition about a potential apocalypse you know, in the first scene of, of this show and it's setting up the thesis of what the show is going to be about, which is basically the end of days and that it's not going to be, uh, and that there is no, no cure. Yeah, there's he hammered. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no sense of, of, of repair, you know, like once the ozone layer is gone, the ozone layer is gone. Once global warming, you know, gets to a certain point, there's no way to reverse it. 
this is the thing that I, this is why I asked you in the regular show, do you find this to be a hopeful series yeah. or do you find it to be, you know, um, pessimistic in its, in its worldview? Because here it kind of feels like, okay, well, we've, we've gone past the point of no return and now it's basically surviving until the last person is gone. You know, whether they die based on being taken over by the fungus or die naturally or die because of uh, the Fedra uh, government and fascism rising. So all these things, as we will progress in this episode, we'll learn more about. But it is basically synthesized into this prologue and you get the gist of it. And the other um, epidemiologist who's played by Christopher uh, Heyerdahl, uh, a lot of people will recognize from uh, season one of Peacemaker. He is the uh, sheriff that comes in uh, or or the, the kind of one covert agent that comes in and takes over the sheriff role. So it's, it's just interesting that they're using two guys from HBO series. And then also an actor who's known for his, comedic capabilities to kind of set the stage for what is this really depressing yeah and and everybody kind of at first laughing at the idea of oh well it's a mushroom it's a fungus fungus is going to take over people's brains and they talk about how um you know where lsd comes from it's from fungus and where penicillin comes from it's from fungus right and these things that affect your brain or your body or or help kind of Basically, he describes it as this, this fungus will take over your flesh with its own flesh and kind of like, and then start using you like a puppet, like I mentioned, to just spread this kind of virus. So yeah, a really unsettling and um, cool way to start this because in the game, it kind of just drops you right into it. And I'll get to that point when we get to that point in the kind of breakdown. But I thought, yeah, a perfect way to kind of deliver exposition and kind of set up what's going to happen in this show um in in a really cool way and then um i also like the little pan to show that it was on abc i don't know for me like who's played the game where nothing is like real i something again we talked about in our review like dropping those real world whether it's product placement or real television uh, like channels and things like that kind of really grounds this to be like oh this is happening in our world and not the video game world right and i mentioned this on a review like playing the game there's always that kind of screen even though you're playing it and you're part of the story and you're controlling sarah and joel um throughout the game is just like those little things that grounds it in our world and seeing real people like i like those little things like that just the subtle thing of not very subtle but the abc logo on the camera i really like that um so now after a wonderful uh hbo style last of us credit sequence which is like the one thing um connecting i feel like a lot of the hbo shows is like you can tell when it's an hbo title sequence i don't know like um i know most television title sequences kind of look similar now because i think everyone's kind of taken that hbo style but hearing uh gustavo santialala's uh score with this kind of it's very similar to the opening of the video game too um where you kind of see the cordyceps virus spreading across the u.s and the world and it's really kind of cool looking and in the way that they showcase the fungus growing on everything with the credits coming on i thought it was a a really dope uh opening credits uh sequence that i hope no one skips don't skip the opening credits in any tv show come on yes unless Um, you're watching them for 
review purposes because some of them aren't finished and it says first and sure. last name. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was understanding for us. But um, we're watching the finished versions now for these um, uh, breakdowns. Uh, all right. We skip ahead to 2003, uh, which will be known as something Eric already mentions, uh, Outbreak Day. Uh, so it begins uh, in uh, Joel and Sarah's home in Austin, Texas, or on the outskirts of Austin, Texas, uh, as Sarah uh, wakes up and wakes up her father, Joel, because he's uh, kind of late. He slept in. They go down. It's Joel's birthday. Um, Joel goes to, or Sarah goes to look for pancake mix, and there's no pancake mix. Um uh, and then they end up, Sarah ends up making Joel eggs for breakfast as they're kind of talking and starting their day. Well, she gives um, him some juice though, as well. You got to put that in there. That's important. Simply orange. Did I, yeah. Eric, did I, I'm not lying. Did I look up if that was the right simply orange logo from 2003? I did. did. And it was right. Cause like, that's just something again, a pet peeve of mine. And I'm like, has simply orange not really changed their bottle since 2003. And I looked it up. They haven't. Why change I perfection? watched it. I I watched a Simply Orange commercial from 2003 and I was like, nope, that bottle looks exactly right. Uh, And I knew they wouldn't mess that up. It's just something in my head where I'm like, this takes place in 2003. I want it to be 2003 accurate. Um, So they're having kind of breakfast. Joel's eating some eggs uh, from that Sarah made him. There's an eggshell in it. Uh, Joel's brother, Tommy, kind of comes in as he works with Joel. They're both construction workers. Um, Sarah's getting ready for school. Uh, Joel and Tommy kind of talk and how they have to kind of work late because someone doesn't, uh, they don't have a, a team that's ready to do a certain thing. So they're going to do it for themselves. So Sarah's kind of bummed about that, wanted him to come home. He promises that he'll get a cake for them and he'll come home by nine o'clock PM. Uh, here I really like, uh, Gabriel Luna sounds exactly like Tommy from the games. Um, I think this is awesome. And like, it kind of was jarring to me at first because he sounded so much like Tommy from the game that I was like, Oh my God. Okay. Um, I thought, you know, uh, Pedro Pascal as Joel is, is perfect right from the, the beginning here. I thought Nico Parker as, as Sarah was great right away. And something we talked about, and you can go into a little bit here too, Eric, that this, this episode drops you after that opening from into Sarah's perspective, right? Which is very similar to the game where you're playing the first person you play as in the game is Sarah. We're not quite at that moment. These are still kind of new moments that weren't in the video game, but I like that they kind of continue that. And this first episode, at least this first chunk is really from Sarah's perspective. Yeah, and I think also in that first sequence when everybody's getting ready to go to work and school, you you get the dynamic of the family and how it works. You know, you see yeah. Sarah as kind of the most responsible and most independent of the three, of yeah. the three and she's also the most considerate of both her uncle and her father. And you have you know, uh, Joel as someone who is kind of the breadwinner of the family, the one that is kind of, you know, responsible in the sense that he's maintaining a job and he's always working, but he's putting other things uh, aside and, and not maybe considering even something as celebratory as a birthday as something that needs yeah. to be done. And then Tommy, as mm. as you get in this first scene, kind of seems almost to be the black sheep of the family in the way that you know, he's kind of hanging on to Joel and always kind of working alongside him and, you know, running a little bit later behind compared to the other two. And so with that, you're getting this dynamic that is being presented to you in this opening scene of the three in a very kind of, you know, 
conventional setting in a kitchen and just a dynamic between them all. And I think that that is really important in establishing the, just the feeling that you will have in this moment of what is going to be lost as we move into, you know, later outbreak day, but also into the seat, this episode and in the series as a whole where the, the conventional norm is something that is going to be lost here. And it's just fascinating to think about again, how you're watching this scene and you know Pedro Pascal is an actor because obviously of Game of Thrones and, and and the Mandalorian. But while watching this, you think, oh, have I been advertised the wrong show? Because you are thinking that it is Nico Parker's show. It really does feel like this is Sarah's story um, as we are, you know, beginning to get hints of the outbreak. There's, there's an important moment here um, you hear them on the radio. Yes, right? talking about yeah. Jakarta and Indonesia, and that is something that I think people, you know, keep that you know little tidbit and hold on to that because it might be a, a reference down the line that you'll need. But but yeah. those little things as well, I think, are so important to like. Okay, there's something off, you know, like yes. even though that this is a day like no other. Again, like time is something that this show i think as a whole is is fixated on we see the alarm clock waking up in the morning and getting ready and you know hearing the radio talk about something going on in distressing news in jakarta yeah, yeah in a place that they're unfamiliar with i mean they even talk where where is jakarta you know like the and sarah's the only of, one that knows of america <laughs> yeah. yeah and and, and again yeah. that goes to how sarah is kind of the most empathetic one of of the three and she's the one that's kind of um basically keeping things together in a way. And she's the one that holds the glue and the fortress down. So, you know, watching this, you're thinking to yourself, okay, like, is there something like just again, like if you've never played the game, you're thinking, yeah. Oh, this is, Sa- this is Sarah. How much of Sarah? And I think is it's such a, a smart, I think it's such a smart way for this episode to do this leading up to, obviously you guys have all watched this episode, what happens later and we'll get there. Um, so they all kind of leave because uh, Joel and Tommy have to go to work and Sarah has to go to school. Um, there's an interaction with their neighbors, the Adlers, right? The um, Adlers. Yes. Yeah. The Adlers, their neighbors, obviously um, Sarah is uh, goes there after school when Joel isn't uh, home yet from work. So she goes over in there and hangs out with the, uh, the Adlers, which is a, um, you know, an elderly woman who, who is wheelchair bound and, and, and sick. And it seems like her husband is taking care of her. And then they have a caretaker who's also there that might be their daughter, I think. Right. Um, they don't necessarily say, but, um, it's just, uh, uh, their neighbors live next door and it's an elderly woman and her husband. Uh, so there's a conversation there. You can tell Sarah doesn't really want to go over there, but Joel's kind of like, Oh, you go deal with them. I don't want to have to talk to them. There's a joke about the Atkins diet. Which oh, I, I got that written funny. down. <laughs> it's, it's a funny 2003 thing, right? Yeah. Like it's just those little things well, that kind of place you in time. Yeah, that place you in time because they mentioned that they're going to make them biscuits and things like that. And then uh, Joel uses the Atkins diet as an excuse of uh, I can't have the biscuits. I can't go over to your house. Um, so I thought that was a, a funny moment. And what I like about this is that it kind of um, – I like that it introduces you to these neighbors and gets you get to know them a little bit before what happens later, because in the game, that's not ne- that isn't the case at all. So that is kind of a change that I think is and you'll see throughout you know this episode for sure that they've added stuff that I think actually adds depth 
to side characters and things like that, which is important uh, moving forward. Uh, I just so, want to go back because uh, like, there's one thing yeah, that we please, didn't yeah. talk about that I do think is important. Um, there's a scene early on before, I think even the kitchen scene or in that first sequence where we oh, it's have, right after I know right after where about, we have yeah. Sarah go through Joel's drawer to get money Grab a watch and a watch. And she also looks at his pocket knife. And I think that that's yeah. important for Sarah's story and, and sort of what she's going to be doing in this episode. So, yeah. Yes. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, yes. So that's right before they go outside and have this interaction with the neighbors. Um, I like that. Just the thing showing that Tommy is a combat veteran the bumper um, sticker. Uh, the bumper sticker just to kind of again that exposition through little kind of things that is obviously the camera pans down and shows you that but it isn't necessarily spoon feeding it through just like lazy exposition it's just kind of giving you little kind of you know character building kind of things in in the storytelling there. yeah it doesn't uh, sarah's at that that's yeah what it says on that. uh Sarah is uh, at school. Some people are coughing. There's some weird stuff going outside. So like Eric said, like everything feels a bit off uh, on this day. Uh, But Sarah quickly finishes school or she skips out early. Something Um, important to mention here. Two things. They're they're working on their grammar. And there's another there is one shot that I do think that is important. That also, again, reminds you of the period that you're in. There is a shot of George W. Bush's face. Yeah. Uh, And and again, like this is two years after 9-11. 9-11. Right. So, yeah, you've got to think like it reminded me of War of the Worlds came out in 2003 as well. Right. I thought it was 2005 Um, because it was the same year as as Munich. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Um, I just knew that it was soon after 9-11. Um, and I could see everyone in this time period, uh, being, uh, very paranoid, um, yeah. uh, about the, uh, the time period. Cause it's only two years after nine 11. So you have people asking when we get to that point, like, is it terrorist? If uh, things like that, especially so, if it's in a red um, state as well. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, so then Sarah leaves school. She hops on the bus and goes, uh, downtown, to get her uh to get joel's watch fixed so she goes to a, uh, a watchmaker and um has an inter- a cute interaction with him where she's like only twenty dollars to fix the watch and he's like you want it to be more <laughs> and like uh and then missing spring. i like That's that he needs and a new then, spring. Uh, yeah just a missing spring and then you have the watchmaker's um wife or partner come out or or co-owner come out and she uh, you can kind of hear things going on in the background. You hear sirens. You, I think Sarah, when she stepped out of school as well, saw the military jets fly over as well, right? Yeah. Um, so you kind of get this unsettling, like something is going on. So when she's at the watch shop, a bunch of fire trucks, police cars go by, and you have this uh, this woman come out and and close all the windows and then close this uh, open sign to close and say like, "We're closing shop. You need to get out of here right away. And, right away, and you need to go home." Um, and she's like, "Don't finish." the watch and he's like i've already finished it it's fine and gives it back to sarah and sarah leaves um and heads home um so then you're getting your first things of going oh god what is i don't even think you took the money like that's the thing that i was yeah i don't think so either but he probably like he seemed like a cool guy he knew that this is just a young girl trying to get her dad's watch fixed for uh, his birthday um so when sarah gets back she goes over to the adler's house um with this uh, caretaker, the caretaker goes, you want to bake some cookies? And she's like, chocolate chip. Nope. And then she's like, raisin. 
<laughs> and I was like, that's good. Uh, you meet Marcy the dog. Uh, always love a good, uh, some good doggo content. So you meet Marcy the dog. And the caretaker is um, also very so religious. That's another thing that's kind of, you, yes. you pick up again. Again, red, red state. state. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that's all really good kind of, and you'll, I think plays an important part in how people deal with what's, you know, going to happen. Um, so then Sarah uh, makes these cookies. She's out with Mrs. Adler, the the elderly woman in the wheelchair in the living room. She's kind of talking to her a little bit, and she goes over to look through the Blu-rays, much like uh, behind Eric right DVDs, now. DVDs, please. Or, sorry, DVDs. This my is bad. 2003, sorry, man. 2003. My 2006 bad, my bad, my bad. is when Blu-rays started. Let's get <laughs> yeah, this right. Yeah, sorry. My bad. My bad. My bad. I'm so used to Blu-rays, all right? I know. Um, she goes to look through the uh, DVDs, and she picks out, I believe it's Curtis and Viper 3, right? Uh, <laughs> and no, then, it is. Is, uh, uh, or is Curtis that... the Viper 2? Oh, Curtis the Viper 2, my bad. Yeah. Um, which is uh, hilarious. And then a great fucking shot at this moment while Sarah's looking through these DVDs. And you see in the background, just out of focus, Mrs. Adler sitting in her wheelchair. And um, I think just the, the blocking as well as her having slightly out of focus um, with the slight kind of intense kind of music that they have going and you see mrs adler in the background um kind of you see her start to become infected or what you you think something's happening to her where she's kind of like twitching and and the way that the shadows on her face and her open mouth um i think is is so unsettling and it was the first moment where i was like oh fuck <laughs> like like i know what's about to happen and i think a lot of people who signed up to watch this show know kind of what they're getting into of what it's about but i think that moment is so well done with her out of focus in the background there yeah and i and i think it goes back to what we've been seeing already in terms of the information that we've been given that all this is happening on the peripheral and and so with a lot of that it's it hasn't infected this family yet you know the the day is still a normal day to a certain extent yeah. at least from the point of view of sarah there's been a couple of you know uh, alarms that maybe have gone off or some strange things but still she's going through what is a routine day at school you know trying to you know focus on getting this watch fixed and then coming home hanging out with you know uh mrs adler for a little bit and and the, her neighbors and then going home but you're seeing these things happen in the background and they are getting closer and closer to home love that you know and like yeah. that's kind of something where it's like you can tell from the writing where it's like it's 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 right at your door it's now. slow playing you know? it. Yeah. yeah. Like it's slow playing it. And it's, yeah, like you said, getting inching closer and closer. Um, I love the trope that dogs always know when something's off. Right. Like, yeah, I, I it's, it's done. It's overdone. It's, you know, but I just, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I love that kind of trope. So you see Marcy, the dog, is it Marcy or is it mercy? At... Because I have mercy. Written oh, is it mind. mercy? Because it would make okay, sense because mercy, of the religious but... thing. Oh, maybe, maybe you're right. Marcy or Mercy, the yeah. dog's awesome. And the dog uh, is staring at Mrs. Adler and kind of just like just staring her down. And, and Sarah notices that uh, uh, Marcy or Mercy, the dog, knows that something's off. So Sarah goes back home. Um, this is now when the game starts. So all of this that we've gotten to was not in the video game. So um, I think that 
it's exactly kind of what I wanted out of this show that it's, it feels very faithful even up to these moments, but everything I've seen up to now was not in the video game at all. So it gave you a little bit more depth to the neighbors. It kind of gave, gave you, it put you in the moment a little bit more, set it in that world in 2003, instead of just dropping you right into it. Because, um, where we go now is Sarah's on the couch. She's reading a 17 magazine. Um, it's now nighttime and Joel comes home late from work at around 10 PM. And that's where the game starts. Um, Joel comes in and sits on the couch with Sarah and they, they talk and Sarah gives Joel, uh, the gift, which is this watch that she went and, and uh, got uh, fixed. What, so, what does Joel say that, uh, she did that she doesn't normally do. I'm she, not sure. Did she locked something? the door. Which I oh, thought was another interesting yeah. thing. Where that is good too. Yes, yes, yes. It's starting to again. Like it's the the there's Creep something in, right I... happening that she doesn't usually lock the door, and she did. And her she did today. And her yeah. dad coming and said, "Oh, the first time you ever locked That's the door." You know? Yeah, yeah. Because I did notice that he's just like, oh, good thing. Like, yeah, first time you've locked the door. Um, that's great. That's a great call. So then they sit down. Sarah says, I have a, a, a gift for you. It gives him the watch. And he's like, how could you afford this? And she's like, I sell drugs. I sell hardcore drugs, which is a line ripped right from the game, which is awesome. And she delivers it so perfectly. Um, so just like just them on the couch and their relationship is, is, is so sweet. And then they watch uh, Curtis, the Viper, um, Two, please. she, yeah, she brought it over and they're going to watch it together. And he says, make sure you don't fall asleep. And she's like, it's so riveting. I, I couldn't. So then obviously Sarah's asleep. Joel, it's later now. And Joel forgot um, the cake as well. Yes. Um, so then Joel gets a call from Tommy and Tommy says, Joel, uh, I've been arrested. I'm in Austin at a, at a jail, not too far. I need you to come bail me out describes i like again it's starting to creep in closer and closer to the family tommy says this guy was you know freaking out at the bar and started like i think swung at someone so he's like i i took him out essentially like i i knocked him out and then you're like oh, he's a tommy knocker to yeah uh he's uh he's uh he's starting to realize like oh people are starting to get infected and that's why tommy got into this fight because someone just randomly attacked a woman at a bar and, and tommy stuck up for them and, and got thrown into jail um so i think that's interesting too because you get more context of what tommy needed help with which what why joel leaves um which i think is really cool and then sarah waking up in her in her bed um or did she wake up on the couch or in the bed in here? In the so game, so Joel, her Joel puts Joel her, takes in, her upstairs. in the bed. And yeah. so she's in bed from uh, 11.03 to 2.16. Till 2 in the morning. Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. So in the game, it's very much like that. Joel takes Sarah to bed. Uh, Joel has to leave. Or you don't know where Joel goes in the game, which I think they give you, again, more context here. Um and then Sarah wakes up and that's where gameplay starts in the game. So this is for me, it's like, okay, now I'm seeing exactly what I remember from the game. Um, so Sarah wakes up. She doesn't know where Joel is. She's calling for, for him. Um, then she goes downstairs. She hears an explosion outside. She sees lights flashing. She hears uh, sirens. You hear jets. You hear like all this kind of stuff going on outside. Uh, so incredibly unsettling to wake up and not see her father there. Um, and then she goes downstairs. There's a little bit of a jump scare with Marcy or Mercy the dog. And then obviously Marcy or Mercy um, is unsettled and comes to the door. So Sarah, being the wonderful young woman she is, decides to go, oh, I'll take marcy slash mercy uh back to the adler's house because uh you know he he got out 
So um, she goes over to the Adlers. And again, I love this because now you're introduced to the Adlers in the game. It's just the neighbors randomly come over to their house and one of them's infected. But Sarah walks in with uh, or Marcy doesn't want to go in, right? I'm just going to say Mercy, like it's the merging of both of them. Um, the dog doesn't want to go in the house. So Sarah goes in the house. She goes into the kitchen. She slips on a pool of blood in the kitchen, looks over to see Mr. Adler uh, with his kind of blood coming out of his neck and him saying something to her. I don't know. Did he say run or something? Or like, uh, I forget what it was, he said. It was to too her, mumbly but, for me. I should have yeah. put on the subtitles, but it's basically yeah. the gist of like, you know, something horrible like has here, happened. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Those raisin so cookies Sarah, weren't great. No, <laughs> allergic to them. Um, which actually might have been, I, we'll get to that later. But like, so Sarah walks over and then looks over and you got this, Eric described it as this like mid 2000s, which is very fitting to the setting, like, um, you know, kind of monster infected zombie movie kind of thing where you see the, uh, the fungus coming out of uh, Mrs. Adler's mouth and she has the caretaker on the ground and she's uh, basically biting her, eating her. Um, and then looks up and does that classic like ah, and like runs after yeah. her. So, and the way that that yeah. that she moves is similar to other early two thousand horror characters, whether it be the the the, the ghost kids from the Grudge movies or Samara yeah. from The Ring. Where it, the, do you think that was intentional? I don't know because I because part of it you could you could look at like well that that was what the state of horror movies, especially kind of like. Um, mainstream horror movies were doing at the time, and, yeah. and, and also uh, uh, American remakes of of Japanese films. Yeah. Mentioning those two specifically, um, but part of it as well, you could look at it is like, okay, well, this is the first time the fungus is kind of entered this person's mind and is starting to pull the strings and move them like a puppet right so yeah. it's just starting to kind of feel its way through like putting on a new yeah. pair of shoes right or something to wear you <laughs> yeah in. fair 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 you know? um i did like the look of the fungus like coming out of uh mrs adler's like mouth i think that's a cool um like visual because in the games the runners which are this type of infected um you don't really go into that kind of detail. They are just kind of zombie looking infected people, um, but they are not zombies. They are infected. Everyone, they are not zombies. This will be the last time I'm calling them zombies. <laughs> this will be the last of us <laughs> telling us, telling you that. Um, no, it's, it's, it's closer to like George Romero's the crazies or 28 days later, right? Where like yeah. when you become infa- infected, it's almost more like, you're like you have rabies or something like that. Like instead yeah. of do- zombies you're not is dead. the easiest you're not way. Dead. To, yes. Zombies is the easiest way to describe it to someone who doesn't know the concept, but it, it is. Yeah. It's trying to be more rooted in reality. Um, a little bit, uh, obviously like your choice of words, not, there, hopefully rooted in reality. Uh, um, so then Sarah runs out of the house. Um, again, in the video game, if people want to know the differences, Oh, Eric oh. almost <laughs> runners in Eric's house. Yeah. Um, uh, in the video game, their neighbors, the Coopers, just um, Joel runs away from them and goes into their house. And the Coopers, uh, Joel has to kill one of them in their home. And you don't really know the Coopers at all in the game. So, again, I like what they did here. So, Sarah leaves the house. Joel and Tommy pull up uh, as the Adlers, uh, Mrs. Adler is chasing after Sarah. Joel's like, You got to get in the car right now. They see Mrs. Adler come out. They don't know what to do. Joel just fucking takes a wrench to her head uh, as she runs after them. 
um, their neighbors from the other side of the street. I forget her name, but like tells them to go back inside and and get out of here. Like just lock the door and go inside. Sarah gets in the car. Joel jumps back in with Tommy. Um, They pull out of their street and drive away. And you kind of see, oh, they hit the Adlers as they are leaving because Mr. Adler comes out and the caretaker, I believe, or it's Mrs. Adler as well. And then they kind of not run them over, but they hit them with their truck as they're driving away. So the neighbor across the street, you hear her yell, Joel, what are you doing? And then goes into the middle of the street and then she gets attacked uh, by the Adlers. Um, And then this next sequence is a kind of, not a one shot, but like a long shot of Sarah, Joel, and Tommy in the truck driving from their suburban kind of area into the city uh, of Austin, trying to figure out where they need to go to get out of here. This is ripped straight from the game. So that farmhouse on fire uh, was an iconic kind of uh, moment in the games. And basically in the games, it's that that shot you see in the show from the back seat, but you're kind of from Sarah's point of view, right? Cause you're playing as Sarah uh, at this moment in the game and you can kind of control the camera to go basically 360 in the game. So I really liked how they took that in and adapted that in this sequence. Cause it felt ripped straight from the games, but then also had this visceral kind of POV kind of nature to Sarah's perspective. Like we keep bringing up that it is very much her episode uh, at this point. And this is also the the sequence that reminded me the most of Children of Men, where you have, you know, these characters in the car. And in Children of Men, you had, you know, Clive Owen and Julianne Moore's character in that car that was rigged in a way that the camera was inside the car. So it'd do a 360 turn around and kind yeah. of maneuver with the actors as they were performing and, and delivering their lines. And it being, you know, quote unquote, a single take as well. Obviously, it didn't last as long as as this does, but um, this one kind of cuts back and forth. forth yeah. yeah, but once and it's almost like it's like once you get into you know moments of danger because they're trying to you know escape suburbia and merge onto the highway. Uh, everybody's taking the highway, so they try to cut mm-hmm. through a field. And what's interesting about this moment as well, in terms of how Sarah's feeling, Sarah is now kind of getting caught up with what's going on. You know, we're hearing the national alerts and things like that on the radio, and, yeah. and what's and she asks if it's terrorists or something. Yeah, like that and what too, she's also afraid of is that she's afraid she might have already been infected because she mentioned because she spent time with the Adlers right in, in the city because it, every yeah. that's I think another thing that's going to be really important here is that it happens it, the infection sort of spreads in densely populated more concentrated areas yeah first so those those exactly. are key things that it's giving you information as we'll move on into the series but here it's it's already setting that up really well and again it's it's easy exposition when you have you know somebody turn on a radio or tv or something yeah. like that because you can just kind of get it in one go but um it adds to the character's kind of nerves in that moment because she is unsure of her own health you know and and, and whether or not she's infected and that also very much reminds you of the thing right where it's like you're not sure yeah. if you're still you yeah, I love that. Um, the one thing we missed on the drive is there's a family at the side of the road yes. that is asking for help. It's a you know a mother, a father, and a young child, and and Tommy's like they have a kid, and and Sarah's also like we need to help them. And then Joel, I like this moment because it's showing Joel's kind of. Uh, 
not brutalness, but his like drive to be like, I need to protect my family and I can't risk it by helping other people. Like I can't risk it because I don't know if they're infected. I don't know what's that someone else will come. We need to focus about ourselves right now. And they drive right past them or Joel makes them drive right past them, which is that first moment of like, damn, like you got to in this world, there aren't necessarily right or wrong decisions like, you know, our morals tell us we should help that family. But when those rules go at the window and you're just trying to survive, um, what do you do in those moments? Right. And that's a big thing Eric and I talked about in our review. And I think a big part of this show is like, what do you do to survive or save the ones that you love? Right. Like you have to make really hard decisions that could be horrific to other people. So I think that's interesting showing him right away, say like, we're not helping that child. We're not helping that family. We're continuing on. Um, the other thing I wanted to point it out, uh, point out on the movie theater. Did you notice this, Eric? It's at Midnight Madness on yes. the uh, the marquee. I thought that was great. Uh, shout out to Peter Koplowski and Tiff's Midnight Madness. Um, and then as they're driving through the town, they're trying to get people are going crazy at this point. The streets are flooded with people running away from infected. Um, you see planes driving over them, uh, trying to emergency land because they probably can't land at the airport. Um, it's just absolute chaos in Austin as they're trying to get through. So they have to pull down a side street. Um, Tommy keeps going and then they see a plane crashing behind them is also new, not in the game. Um, there might've been plane crashes, but like the way that this happens with the plane crashing in the middle of downtown um, and then a part of the plane flying off and hitting their car, causing a car accident in the game, I believe they just get sideswiped. So I thought that was an interesting and, and crazy way to kind of show them and the chaos of all of this. Uh, stop me at any point. Yeah, if something you I, want to I talk think about this there. is important as well, because not in terms of just the themes and the tone of the show, but it's also, it, it's giving you a sense that HBO is putting the same amount of effort into adapting this in the same way that they would Game of Thrones or one of their bigger yeah, series. And that is going to be you know, set pieces throughout, even though this is, it, it's still a very sparse program and, and, and you have two central leads, but there's still going to be a lot of, of action and development. And when it's used, it's going to be used to kind of help progress the story. And I think that this scene kind of gives you that in terms of showing you the chaos of what outbreak day was and how quickly it spread. Um, and, and, and how it, happened, it, it, yeah. it turns everybody against each other. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, with, with Joel protecting his own first and how it becomes a fend for yourself kind of situation. Yeah. Uh, great, great call. Um, yeah, the budget is, is wild. Um, that plane crash looked fantastic. All of the, the production design, which I'll talk about over and over again, I think is great, uh, both on its own and both how it kind of takes locations from the game and feels exactly like those moments that I played. I think it's really, really impressive. Um, we're almost done this kind of it's like the second epilogue to the show. I feel like the show has two epilogues. Um, so the the car crashes. Uh, you wake up still from Sarah's perspective. She's pinned in the car. Her leg is pinned down. Um, you hear Joel yelling for her. Uh, Joel helps Sarah out of the car. Uh, Sarah says, like, my ankle, it's either broken or I can't walk on it. Um, and then you see another uh, car, a police a sheriff's car crash into uh, their car pinning, not pinning, but trapping uh, Joel and Sarah on the other side where Tommy can't get to them. Um, you're seeing infected um, 
eat each other on the streets essentially or like infect other people on the streets uh just utter mayhem so tommy says you just need to take sarah you need to run i'll meet you by the river um so joel picks up sarah uh, runs with her through a, uh, a storefront and and trying to get down to the river. Um, he is then stopped by um, a, a member of the military who um, stops Joel and Sarah. He tells them, hey, we're not infected. We're not infected. Uh, I'm just trying to get my daughter out of here. Uh, you hear the military man speak on his radio. Um what I like about this show and we'll continue, especially in the next sequence after this, when we, we jump ahead is like, I, I love that they are, you can kind of just get based on character reactions and what they're doing of what they're trying to say. Like they're not, you don't hear someone on the other side of the radio go be like, take them out. Like you just, you get it based on their, like just on their reactions and how he reacts going, excuse me, sir. Like, what do you want me to do? And then like he, cause he's as shocked as, as what tell. he's going to try. Cause to he's do. probably doesn't. Yeah. He has no idea what's happening either. So obviously he gets the call saying like, if you think anyone's infected, you need to take them out. Right. Shoot and with kill. Sarah's ankle, if Sarah's ankle being hurt, like they probably think she might've been bitten. So, uh, the, the military man, uh, shoots at Joel and Sarah, Joel uh, turns away, falls down kind of a hill um, and uh, it is, has been shot. And uh, you have the guy come up and he's about to execute uh, Joel. Um, he Joel has been wounded and then the uh, the military man gets headshotted by Tommy. So Tommy comes to save uh, the day. Uh, and then at this moment, you get a, a moment that destroyed me in the games uh, multiple times I have played through this moment, but something about seeing this moment with two really great actors um, just absolutely destroyed me. Um, you have Joel look over and see that Sarah has been shot in the stomach um, and just a great kind of performance from Nico, Nico Parker, right? Yeah. Um, and just the way that she's panting and you can tell that she's been, uh, you know, fatally wounded. Um, I think is just such a heartbreaking moment. You have uh, Joel go over to Sarah and hold her in his arms and say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Um, but the way that she's kind of uh, panting and, and, and the way he's moving her and like every time he just moves her in an inch and the way that he says sorry to her and like, I know baby, like I'm so sorry. Like um, I just thought it was a, it was so well done. And like, I knew this moment was coming you know what, like, even if you've seen some of the trailers, you kind of know that Sarah's not a huge part of this show unless they're kind of trying to mislead you, right? Like, if you know nothing about this, and then to your point, Eric, when you're dropped in from Sarah's POV, you're kind of like, oh, is this not what I expected? Um, but it's all leading to this moment where Joel uh, ultimately loses his daughter, and it's not to one of the infected. It's to, you know, someone contracted by the government. Um, and it's such a heartbreaking uh, scene, and I think it was executed so well. Yeah, and Nico Parker's performance, I think, even though it's only in her 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 work here is only in this first episode and in this first half, you understand Joel and and the performance that Pedro Pascal is giving, partly in terms of that morning and not being able to completely get over it as we move into the next section. And I think with her work here, 
her presence, the character's presence is felt throughout the rest of this season. And you understand who, you know, this, this character is in just a very short amount of time. And you kind of are completely left um, as emotionally devastated as, as Joel is by this loss. And you kind of feel like you have lost a main character uh, in, in this story, having gone through um, what Joel has just done and to the point where, you know, you also realize that this is where uh, the Joel's watch has stopped. So that's going to be important moving forward as well, where like he hasn't been able to move past this one moment and that he's kind of been frozen in time um, since outbreak day, really. Did you jump ahead or you just talked about her death? I was just talking about her death and I was talking about the watch and talking about how the characters, you know, react. So yeah, I, um, I thought that again, like I said, that performance was amazing and something I mentioned this to you that like, maybe this is something, you know, was obvious in the games that maybe I just wasn't thinking of, but, uh, yeah, Joel's watch being broken in that moment is, uh, you know, going to be an important part of this series. And just like, to me, it's like, you know, that is the moment his daughter died, right? Like time stopped at that moment. And it's a reminder to him at the exact moment she took her last breath. So it's just like, man, it was a a heavy moment. And it's just sets the show up being like, man, this is going to be a tough watch at times, but hopefully uh, uh, fulfilling. And you'd think the episode is done at that point. We're 48 minutes in, but no, this is a feature length (laughs) uh, episode uh, of the show. It's, an unflinching start to this perilous yeah. journey ahead. Uh, episode one really does hit the ground because Druckmann and Mazin don't hold back. And you kind of understand that, you know, this show is not, it's not going to be in the same vein as the walking dead or game of Thrones, where it's necessarily cashing in on, um, you know, bringing out characters that we'll get to know for a little bit of time and then killing them off in a horrible way. It's, it's, it's bringing you into a situation that is so um, tumultuous and turbulent that when you, you connect with these people good or bad and what they do in order to survive, because it's very much a gray zone. We're understanding that there was a time when they were human, you know, and because of that, I think that opening that this first half of this show really does set the stage for what is to come. Absolutely. Um, so we fade to black and then we get the 20 years later. Um, so we are now in 2023, putting us in the present. Uh, we are now in Boston in a quarantine zone. Um, or on the outskirts of a quarantine zone. Uh, we see a young boy, um, walk up with, uh, holding a Fedra patch, um, with long hair and kind of tattered clothes, uh, walk up to the gates, uh, of this quarantine zone. Um, and we'll talk about it more, but I wrote a note down being like that gate at this quarantine zone, having that big sign that says welcome above it, I think is so ironic and unsettling. Um, so you have this young boy, come into the quarantine zone uh the fedra officers uh bring him in um they are talking a a woman comes out and starts talking to this child 
Um, you can tell that they don't speak, it seems like, um, whether that's for certain reasons or they just maybe they grew up not learning how to speak or anything like that. But um, you can kind of tell what's happening. And as they're talking to him, saying, we're going to get you some food, some fresh clothes, some things, we're going to help you out. Um, you see someone come up behind him and take his uh, what looks like a temperature reader, but it's kind of like a, you'll learn later that it's how they detect if someone's infected or not. Um, and basically, like, we're just going to give you this shot and make it'll make you feel better. And then we'll kind of get you all this stuff. So they end up injecting uh, this child uh, with something. Um, and then the scene continues. And then in that moment, I'm sitting there going, oh my God, they just euthanized this child. And I'm like, holy fuck, this is dark. And I knew the show was dark, but like to jump 20 years later and that's how you start it. I'm like, you know, they're going to tell us more, um, you know, uh, explicitly or blatantly in a, in a moment. But even in that moment, I understood what they were doing. Um, and I was like, holy shit, that is dark. Well, they, they, they do give us a lot of information even oh, in, totally. in the signage. So as they're doing all of this, you are cutting to signs that say, you know, uh, coughing, slurred speech, what to look for when it comes to the yeah. signs, muscle spasms, mood change, neck, face, head, times in which the incubation period happens, five to Depending 15 on minutes, where yeah. torso, arm, shoulder, hand, uh, two to eight hours, um, and you know, leg foot Ankle or foot is uh, 12, 12 to 24 hours. And so with that, like it's, it's again, you know, it's like the bumper sticker, right? Like it's, it's, it's giving exposition you that... through environmental storytelling. Right? Yeah. And, and you're not necessarily sure what it all is, is, is leading to, but you will understand it more as you kind of are reintroduced to Joel and, um, you know, where, where he is now in his life. And again, it's, it's, it's a very dark contrast dark. <laughs> yeah. to where he was yeah. at the beginning of this episode. So yeah, you see that the, the scanner was red. They inject the, the child, all those things like Eric mentioned as well. So it cuts to, I also like him holding the Fedra patch because it just also shows that he went there thinking they would help him. Right. Yeah. Like, and I think that's an important thing for this show of what Fedra is and what the government has become and the fascism that Eric has, has talked about uh, frequently. Fascism um, versus fungus, man. What's worse? Yeah. And I just think that's that's bleak and and important to what this show is, is just like that child how much he survived just getting to that quarantine zone. Right. And he got a little nick on his leg from one of these things and they'll just they can't do anything. They just kill you right away. Um, so then it cuts to um, some people uh, putting bodies into a mass grave, a mass cremation. Um, and then a woman is putting a couple bodies in. You see another man with kind of his uh, a mask on kind of thing or not a mask, like a bandana over his face. Um, and then a woman opens one of the trucks and you realize it is this child. Um, everyone has bags over their heads, but she looks at this young child who's bound and, and ready to be put into this mass grave. And she breaks down and says, I can't do it, turns over and it's Joel beside her. And she says, you need to do this. I can't. 
I can't do it. Um, so that more ex- like blatantly tells you what they did to that child, but um, just really dark, uh, a disturbing image, like you mentioned, of like what people have to resort to at this moment, how much they've changed and things like that. I think going back to the government and and Fedra, you see the next moment where Joel is getting rations, like ration tickets uh, for his work of, of working in this mass grave site, which I'm like even 20 years into the apocalypse you still got to work for food like it's so fucked <laughs> like it's What's so even worse it's though? so fucked because again like there's like there's this quality of that everything you have you like it's not just food anymore it's like every aspect of your life you have to pay for or like yeah it's just it's just so fascinating that the world has ended essentially and yet we're trying to rebuild the government or yeah. the worst parts of humanity and bring that back instead of, you know, yeah. trying you need to work new. for food. You need to work for all these things. You still need to fucking work. It's not like a, and that's going to be an interesting thing moving forward too, about the communism versus, you know, fascism and, and all this kind of stuff of like 20 years into the apocalypse and, and the government still making you work at a, a cleaning crew or a mass grave site just so you can fucking eat. It's, it's wild. Um, the Gore and Lieberman shirt alludes to, um, you know, the time period of when this happened, you see a, a gentleman wearing that. And Eric already mentioned George Bush being president at the time. Um, so I, I love the production value in the quarantine zone. It goes back to what you mentioned of like the money that they're pouring into the show shot in Calgary, shout out to Calgary and in, in Canada. Um, the whole show is kind of shot there, but like the production on this is, is wild. And like a lot of it is CG, but that mix of CG and, and practical kind of uh, sets built and, and, and special effects, I think is, is uh, really, really uh, kind of cool. And then I think like what we said is like it's showing how Joel has kind of adapted and changed in this new world over the last 20 years, right? Like we have him meeting with a Fedra agent and you realize that Joel is now a smuggler. Uh, so Joel for the last 20 years has been smuggling things in and out of the quarantine zone. So whether it's drugs or booze or whatever. Um, He's a regular Han been, Solo. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just like that. And like even that interaction with the Fedra officer where he's kind of making deals with him to give him Oxycontin or uh, things like that. Like he's like uh, basically makes a comment of like you've done worse or you've done some horrible things. So just kind of planting those seeds for Joel's character um, as well as like uh, talking about where the drugs uh, were made and they said in Atlanta that the government has a factory that only makes drugs and bullets um, which I think like to your point again of like we're 20 years into the world ending but the US government is still has is still making bullets so it's really fucked up um, uh, where do we go from this we, we I also want to quickly mention with now, the money because right? uh, yeah. this is important as well because Joel is putting together enough funds to buy a car engine, right? Car battery. Car battery. battery pardon me. Yeah. yeah, car engine. Uh, a car battery. <laughs> and and so he's also willing to take the worst jobs possible in order to make the most money he can in a short amount of time. Because he wants to go find Tommy. Because um, yeah. he we don't he's he doesn't been dis- know he's, where Tommy he's is. He's been missing he's for like, three weeks yeah. in Wyoming. Um, I have that written yeah. down. But um, but the money though is well remind or the ration cards reminded me of Monopoly money a little bit. <laughs> 
they did the colors in the paper, right? Yeah. Like, uh, I, I do see that. Uh, so then we flash over to and are introduced to a new character, uh, named Tess. Uh, she's being held, um, kind of captive by Robert and his cronies, um she's obviously been beaten up uh robert is the guy that they're supposed to buy this battery off of um he says he doesn't have the battery or he's taken the battery and he's also going to sell it to someone else so he's trying to get money from tess and joel and also trying to sell it to someone else so um tess is kind of going back and forth saying how she's not going to tell joel blah 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 and at that moment as she's being held uh captive uh, the wall gets exp- uh, is exploded from beside of her, taking out the two men. Robert leaves, um, and then you realize it's a group called the Fireflies, which are a kind of um, how would you describe the Fireflies, Eric? Like they're um, they're they're, they're kind, kind of, of like a rebellion, a right? Freedom like if, fighters, yeah, rebellion, yeah. And yeah. and they're I that, mean, again, like if you're looking at this from an extremist point of view, like I could see the conservative sort of look at this would be like they're kind of almost like antifa or something like that antifa or, yeah or like yeah, they're trying to too, yeah. usurp the government in a way but also it's like again we'll learn about them because in a lot of ways when you when you see a, a rebel group you think like i mean i mentioned the han solo joke but you think like they're the ones that are going to defy the empire or, or you know the rep- the repressive regime not so quickly, you know, like, and, and, and that I think is really interesting as well in terms of what you're willing to do for the greater good and what the fireflies represent and what Fedra represents and what Joel is kind of caught in between in terms of his story arc. And so when we're looking at that, we're, we're seeing again, the worst parts of humanity, even when humanity is trying to salvage what's left. Yeah. So this is all pretty similar to the game. Like they've kind of changed things around to make it work for television um, better, but it's mostly pretty much how the game goes. Um, Maybe not the Robert and testing and and that stuff, but even setting up the fireflies to be these rebels that are going against the government, going against Fedra, trying to find, you know, a cure, trying to make everyone free from this fascism. I, I think is interesting that, but they are bombing Fedra trucks and and parts of the qz and things like that so we uh, quarantine um, zone we should mention that that's that's what it stands do i keep for. saying qz i didn't say quarantine zone yet so yeah qz is quarantine zone so in boston basically they're set up in a big area of boston that's all walled off by the government that and they're running this quarantine zone so they know everyone in there is not infected um you know they have they bring food in and water for people, but you have to work for it. Like we mentioned, and it's basically like a safe zone, but some, some people like the fireflies are either set up in a quarantine zone or even outside of the quarantine zone of these kind of secret groups that are trying to go up against Fedra and the government. Uh, this is now where we're introduced to Ellie. So we're an hour into this podcast and basically three quarters of the way through the episode. And we're finally introduced uh, to Ellie who is going by Veronica at this time. Um, she's being held uh, captive as well, but by the fireflies, um, they're doing some tests on her as she's being kind of a smart ass and telling them to fuck off and, and, and things like that. And, uh, so Bella Ramsey as, as Ellie, I mentioned in our review that it took me a second, uh, to kind of get on board, um, with Bella Ramsey, but I said she had the essence of Ellie throughout this whole show and Calvin eventually, Klein. Uh, and, and eventually owned the role. I think this second time watching this episode, 
um, in this series so far, um, I'm I was so much more in because I got to remove my expectations and remove what my comparisons to the game and Ashley Johnson's performance and how Ellie looks in the game and things like that. So um, I really enjoyed her performance and and she felt like Ellie right away to me the second watch. So uh, just by the way that she's interacting with the fireflies and things like that. So um, she's doing some tests of counting to 10, holding her hand out. Um, and you realize that it's because um, she has been bitten and they're trying to make sure that she isn't going to turn because it's now been a few days since she was bitten and that uh, everyone is surprised that she hasn't uh, turned into an infected yet or hasn't become fully infected. So that's why she's chained up. That's why they're kind of monitoring her, monitoring her and as well as making her do these tests. Um, anything on that moment? Eric, yeah. I, I think in terms of performance, like, again, I'm not familiar with, with Ellie from the video game. So I'm looking at it from the point of view of, of, of not just performance, but character. And I, and I do mm. think it does take a little bit of time to, it does, yeah. for her to grow on you like a fungus um, because the character is so much of a smart aleck and can be a little obnoxious um, in terms of being kind of, again, a, a form of comedic relief or yeah, always having to interject, you know, um, a defense mechanism of, of using comedy as a way to kind of cope with what's going on. And so with that, like, especially because, you know, she's a younger character and you have someone who she's going to be paired off with that is more kind of stoic and, you know, introspective and, and, and quiet. And again, like, you know, the personalities at first, it's, it's, it's a lot of kind of shortcuts with, it's like the classic Western tropes where you get the yeah. one person who's more the Clint Eastwood type. That's mm-hmm. kind of cool, calm, direct collected. reference to Clint Eastwood. At yeah. And, and, and kind of, um, you know, removed from the world that they're in now because they've gone through so much and they're kind of a shell of their former selves. And then you have somebody that's never experienced uh, the world that, you know, they, that came before and this person's only grown up in, in the, the remains. And so that dynamic is interesting, but in terms of them being separated at first, you kind of feel like, Oh, like her performance does feel a little bit like it's, it's it's a little bit again obnoxious and when you're sure. when you're watching it you're thinking to yourself okay like is this going to be one note and it's not yeah it obviously isn't bella ramsey's very very good in 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 the performance and in the role but in terms of getting that first dose of the character it's like it's like oh is this going to be something that's going to be like a little yeah. bit grading on me and it, I and it doesn't yeah no yeah for sure and i found myself the second time um kind of liking the comedic relief in a sense or her playful personality in the sense you mentioned it that she grew up after she doesn't know the world that came before it right so i feel like she doesn't take things as seriously as maybe a joel or a tess or someone marlene who are about to meet or something like that who grew up before the world went to shit right like she doesn't know what she's missing or what she lost essentially because she didn't lose it she just grew up in this world so that innocence in the sense of like that lets her have those smart alecky kind of comments and things i enjoyed more the second time around because i found myself going like oh it kind of makes sense that she wouldn't you know necessarily be so like oh my god we need to we need to 
fix all this because of what I what we lost and and she kind of just doesn't take things as seriously and I kind of liked that uh but there's that introduction then we go back over to Joel who visits what I call radio guy I don't know if he ever got a name but um uh Joel visits radio guy well he goes to the radio shack let's call it um he meets up with this guy he skips a line there's a lineup of people he kind of just goes to the front and goes right in um, and talks to this guy who seems like I love that they're setting up all these different like personalities of like what their role is in the quarantine zone and that kind of smuggler community or kind of the underground kind of thing that Fedra might not know about or maybe or maybe they do. I'm not sure, but he seems like the radio guy. So you go to him and like pay him to use his radios or something like that. Um, even though or maybe he has uh, he has higher frequency radios, right? So like you see that Joel has a radio, which we'll go over. He's uh, geek squad well. basically. <laughs> yeah, essentially. So you go to him, uh, you hear him on the radio, call himself 73 K Orlando, which I thought was funny. Um, and then he goes and asks where, if he's heard from Tommy. So obviously Joel's been going there trying to see if Tommy sent a message through this guy. Um, he says he hasn't, um, and then Joel asks him to mark on the map where the radio tower is so he can kind of try to do it himself essentially. And then, uh, radio, radio man goes like, Joel, you, you don't want to go out there. There's worse things than infected. He says there's raiders, there's slavers, there's like, you know, humans are worse than, than the fungus. Um, so Joel kind of just takes that, gets him to mark it on the map. He goes back to his apartment. Um, you see him, you know, uh, he seems to be maybe not, maybe addicted, but obviously numbing his pain with pills and alcohol as he kind of looks on this map to try to plan a trek to go maybe find his brother, um, and then passes out, um, in his bed. I like this stuff too, because you don't really get a lot of this in the game as well. Like Joel's home life in the quarantine zone, like it kind of drops you in and you just go with Joel and Tess and kind of try to find Robert for the car battery right away. So like some of this kind of more character building, kind of putting you in the moment, slow playing it a little bit. I think in this show, it both slow plays certain moments and skips over some things. But um, in this moment, I like getting a little bit more of Joel's home life in, in the quarantine zone. Um, and then you see Tess comes in and, and, uh, and joins him in bed. I don't know if there's anything there that you wanted to talk about, Eric, or keep no, going. No, I, I think just keep going because there is something that I do want to talk about once we get to it, but we're not quite there yeah. yet. Yeah, so I, I also love that they kind of confirm that Joel and Tess are are together in the show. In the game, it's like heavily alluded to, um, but you don't get any of that home life stuff, right? Like you don't, you, you see that they care about one another, but you almost seem like they're more business partners in the game rather than, but like alluded to that there might be some romantic stuff happening there, but it doesn't really go into it. We're here. It kind of like they're living together. It seems like they are together in this and that, uh, uh, and I kind of like that you get a little bit more because of just, I, I just like that. I don't know. It, it, this show, especially in this first episode, I, I, and you'll see throughout the series, like the, the way that they bring depth to some of the, the other characters that aren't Joel and Ellie, I think is, is really kind of unexpected and, and great what they do with some of these characters. But I think Joel uh, then, and, and Tess's relationship is still something of a, a, a it, it, there's a mutual benefit because yes. of them living in a world yes. where there isn't much option in terms of relationships. And it kind of feels yeah. like if, if 
if this world didn't exist and they were in because Joe Joel is is a widower, right? So it seems like yeah, we don't yeah we don't know what happened with his wife, but 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 um, if if the world was you know wasn't as it is these two characters would not be together might not yeah probably you know. not uh, tess would be in detroit and joel would be in texas um then we go over and we get our introduction to marlene um so marlene played by merle dandridge who also played marlene in the game which i think is really cool um we get marlene come in and uh we get a sequence at i might have skipped over or, or is this the one where, no, this is where she's talking to the Firefly group in their kind of headquarters thing, right? Talking about uh, that they have this young girl uh, and why she's important. I don't th- think they explicitly say in that moment why Ellie's important, but it's alluded to the other characters, why she's important and why they need to take her to this other Firefly group. Um, and uh, so you you realize that Marlene is the leader of this, uh, of the Boston uh, Fireflies um, and one of the kind of higher ranks in the Fireflies. Uh, pretty good scene of introduction to Marlene. The one thing I think is a little goofy and video gamey is the Fireflies logo on the on the wall. And I know they make reference to it that we're just spray paint if we just if we don't actually do some something. Um, but that's the most video gamey production design thing that like who's taking a stencil in their headquarters and going like, this is important. We need to put the fireflies logo in this room. Like it seems I kind of get it from the perspective of once they leave there to leave their mark of like once Fedra comes through and they see that the fireflies have infiltrated, you know, this is where they were the whole time. And like, maybe it's like we were here motherfuckers which is uh, a word used multiple times in this um so i can kind of see it from that standpoint um but i still think it's a little silly looking i don't know if you felt the same way yeah i think like it would work it works in the sense of like maybe if you had somebody do it like without a stencil and it was just kind of like a very uh yeah rudimentary version that was almost more like graffiti or something like that and no one is maybe exactly the same but it kind of gives you Okay, like you, you you can still put two and two together that it's the same symbol, but it's not maybe done by even the same person. Uh, but it is silly thinking about like, oh, they're going to be, you know, like traveling into dangerous territory and moving from, you know, one zone to another. Yo, pa- did you pack the stencil, though? Don't let it rip. Don't let <laughs> it rip. Man. As long as we have this stencil, it's like we, it's like they forget it back in their like their previous camp. It's like, we got to go back for it. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole nother spinoff series of the Fireflies. The Firefly stencils. <laughs> like that was the one thing where I, I like your idea of it being kind of more rudimentary. And I like that they're like spray painting it. Like, uh, it's like when you're lost in the darkness, look for the light. Yeah. Um, that stuff looks rudimentary, but then you got the like flashy ass stencil firefly logo. So are they going to sell you like a shirt or something like in between, like trying to use, they do like in the game, they have like dog tags and shit, which like, I, I get it. You're making it like an organization and the dog tags are mostly because you like collect them. They're like collectibles. Um, but I'm like, where are they getting the, the the materials to print these dog tags? And like, I guess you make like a stamp kind of thing. It's not that hard, but I, I mean, I guess but who's spending the time to do this? I guess when you're trying to start an organization, though, branding is important. So I don't know. You want to <laughs> convince people. Um, I just thought that was, you know, if I'm going to criticize something, I'm like, I don't I don't love that. I get how that works in a video game. And that's being very nitpicky because obviously everything else is is. is been very very good um but i think there is some truth to that because again like what like are you spending that much time worrying about 
you know, your, your, your corporate synergy over, you know, what the purpose of this group is. I got to eat tomorrow, bro. I I don't want (laughs) to care about this stencil. I'm just starving. Um, that leads perfectly into this next moment where Joel Tess is meeting with one of Robert or someone who knows where Robert is and things like that. Uh, Joel's kind of waiting in, in this area. A guy walks up to him and and says one of the lines like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And he's uh, like one of the Firefly slogans to try to recruit people. Yeah. Um, and I like that Joel says, if you say, look into the light, I'm going to break your goddamn jaw. <laughs> like, um, So I, I like that, that. It's just like Joel has he knows Tommy was part of the Fireflies at one point, And um, uh, he just is like, you leave me the fuck alone. Um, so then Marlene then meets with Ellie and has a conversation with her. Um, you get a reference to Ellie's friend, Riley, um, and that Ellie's is going to serve like a greater purpose. And you find out that Marlene basically knows who Ellie is, um, has known her since a child. She was a child. Um, there's a funny moment of Ellie asking like, what are you, my mom? And then she's like, do I look like your mom? And she's like, you, you don't. Um, and just a good moment between Marlene and Ellie and, and Marlene telling Ellie that you're very, very important and we need to get you to this group of fireflies. Um, I did think at one point that Marlene was going to like take a chair and like, you know, sit in it in a way where it's like, like backwards, like, yeah, I'm going to talk to you. Like uh, I'm a teacher or politician or something. It's like, here's what's going on here. Um, But it is also just, have you seen our cool stencils on the wall? Come on. (laughs) Cause again, for a character moment, it shows that Marlene's not afraid of Ellie in the sense of like Ellie, you know, is, she gives her the 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 key to unlock herself and like oh, sits yeah. down next to her when Ellie is kind of threatening her and and like you know again like it shows you like there there's a way of convincing somebody through emotional manipulation to get somebody to do something. Yeah. Uh, so then Tess and Joel um, head out to try to find Robert. They go into a building. Uh, this is when we get that first visual of the infected kind of growing on the wall. So like at annihilation, it, I wrote annihilation. Yeah, down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which annihilation maybe got it from the last of us. Um, I, I love that visual. It's such a cool kind of thing. So it's like almost when the infected is now dead, it, the, the fungus just grows into the earth and the wall. Um, and it's just a really creepy, unsettling uh, kind of visuals. So I thought uh, that was kind of cool as they make their way through there. Um, we then see that Robert was trying to sell the battery that he was going to sell to Joel and Tess uh, to Marlene and the fireflies. So uh, Tess and, and Joel see some, uh, uh, some of Robert's men who were dead. They go into a building um, they find more dead people. They see the battery, which was shit anyway. So he was trying to sell two people shitty batteries just to steal money off of them. What a con, uh, obviously that, a gun. Yeah, obviously a um, uh, a gunfight ensued, and you see that Robert has been killed, and his men have been killed. Uh, you find that that Marlene is there uh, with one of her uh, one of her fireflies, like the second in command, and Marlene's been shot. Uh, the second in command, her ear has been shot off. And then um, Ellie runs out of the another room to kind of tackle Joel. Joel throws her to the side and then he starts talking to uh, uh, Marlene. So this is the first interaction between uh, Joel and Ellie, uh, which I, um, you know, I really love. 
And I want to go back to um, Robert's death quickly because this is something that I found interesting with this episode as well, is that Tess, when she tells Joel that it was Robert and his men that beat her up, because in this first episode, we see Tess for the most part with these bruises and, you know, like a black eye. And, and, you know, she says to Robert in the moment, I just want to go home, like, I'll forget about it, whatever. And then when she tells Joel about it, it's like, okay, we want to get him and I want to make him suffer. And when you get to that moment where you see Robert dead, there's that moment of, okay, well, you're not going to be satisfied or you're not going to get the moment of, of, you know, revenge uh, on the person. And it reminded me a little bit of when the military guy is killed by Tommy, where, you know, uh, Joel didn't get the satisfaction of killing the man responsible for killing his own daughter, you know, and like, it feels like those two moments weirdly work in, in symmetry where you have that. And then also, I think it's just interesting from a Canadian point of view that uh, Robert is played by Brendan Fletcher, who's in a lot of, of Canadian movies and TV shows, most notably, and I don't know why I'm thinking this one off the top of my head, but he was in um, Freddy versus Jason. He's the one guy that's um, killed by Freddy. Classic Canadian movie, Freddy yeah. versus Jason. Well, I mean, shot shot in, I think, Calgary I know, and Vancouver. I know. So, you know. I know. It's just when you say Canadian movies, yeah. I think people think of like, you know what I mean by like yes, CanCon yeah. kind of stuff. I th- uh, that's funny to say that. Um, where were we? So, yeah, Joel and Ellie meet. Uh, they have a conversation with Marlene. Um, basically Marlene isn't in any shape to kind of take Ellie where she needs to go. So she says to Tess and Joel, like you guys need to do this. Um, like you have to do this basically, uh, for me, you see that Joel and Tess know who Marlene is. They have, they've obviously worked with her in the past or know her from other things. Uh, cause I also like that Joel and Tess kind of play both sides. Like they'll work with Fedra and they'll work with the fireflies. Like they don't care. They'll smuggle anything for anyone. And that's brought up into this conversation of Marlene saying like, I know what you're capable of. Like, I know you're, you'll you can do this because you guys aren't afraid to kind of get dirty um so they kind of talk about it they make a deal with marlene saying like if we do this you got to give us basically you know what is it guns ammos car battery or a car or truck like just basically everything that they need the fireflies have to provide for them and and marlene kind of agrees and she's like that's how important this girl is and for you to get them and it's where they need to bring ellie is just to uh, i forget what it is what they call it right but it's fireflies that aren't that far away it's like a state house right State house, thank yeah. you, Eric. Um, they have to bring Ellie to the state house, which is just outside of the quarantine zone, but it's still very dangerous because if you're not in the quarantine zone, you're in the infected zone where you know the infected is just running, uh, running loose. Um, so Tess and Joel kind of reluctantly agree to take Ellie, thinking that this mission won't be that long. We'll just take her there, we'll get the stuff that we need, and then we can kind of part ways. Um, so then they, they do part ways with Marlene and, and take Ellie back to their apartment. Um, this is all new as well. This doesn't really happen in the game. Uh, so Ellie, they throw Ellie in, in the apartment. They talk for a minute saying like, are we really going to do this? Should we do this? Like this, this seems crazy. Like probably not a great idea. Ellie's kind of looking through the things in Joel and Tess's apartment. She finds a billboard top 100 book right or yeah. or decades book so finds a code in there that says uh uh 70s no 60s 70s and 80s right 
um, yeah. are the three codes. Yeah, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, and then there are codes written behind beside them for what they mean. So one is for they have a new like a new shipment or new product or or whatever. That uh, one is just I think everything's okay, right? I think. And yeah. Then one is a mystery. And then 80s um, means trouble. Yes, we'll get to that point, but Ellie figures that out. So yeah. um, I think there's a great moment, Eric, and I'm so glad you brought up the watch earlier. So uh, there's a moment where Ellie and – so Joel lies down on the couch. Uh, Ellie asks about the the code and what the 80s mean. Joel doesn't say anything. Uh, Ellie then goes, your watch is broken. And then you see the look in Joel's eyes as he looks down at that broken watch, like we mentioned, right? And like, this is when I guess they just didn't hammer it home in the same way, or I never thought about it in this way when I played the game of, of that, like, oh yeah, that would be the exact moment his daughter died. And it's like forever on his, you know, left, left hand. And um, in that moment, right as... Ellie says your watch is broken. You see that look in Joel's eyes. You faintly hear in the background Sarah's last breaths. And I think that, um, again, it could have been more like it was subtle enough. Like, I don't even know if everyone would catch it because it was quiet enough. Um, where I didn't feel like you didn't need like a flat, you know, like some crappier shows would do like a flashback to that moment, even though it just happened earlier in the episode of like having to reshow what Joel's thinking in his mind. But I thought like just the emotion in Pedro Pascal's eyes as he looked down to that watch and then you subtly hear the <gasps> like Sarah's last breaths as he's kind of looking, I think was um, fucking excellent. I thought that moment was great. Um Ellie does break the code by asking Joel, uh, what song does she reference again? Is it, um, uh, whams, uh, uh, whams. Yeah. Wake me up before you go, go. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Uh, so she references like, cause Joel goes, Oh, what song was playing? Cause Ellie's like, Oh, so the radio came on and she starts, uh, doing the lyrics to wake me up before you go, go. And he's, he, he seems like rattled by it. And she's like, Oh, so eighties means trouble. And I thought that was great. Uh, of showing, you know how Ellie thinks and how smart she is. And you can see Joel being like caught off guard that she figured that out so quickly. Um, so then we go to Joel, Ellie and Tess sneaking out of the quarantine zone. This is when I wrote that note about that big welcome sign, uh, by the QZ. Cause you get a good shot of that as they're kind of crawling out of the ground. Um, I thought that was really good. And then as they're sneaking around, they're kind of going around trying to not be spotted by, Fedra. We should have mentioned earlier that the Fedra officer that Joel was selling drugs to did say that they were having extra patrols out because of all the firefly attacks and that you should not go out tonight because we're going to have people everywhere. Um, and then that same officer uh, is taking a piss <laughs> along the wall as Joel, Ellie and Tess sneak around the corner. He sees them. He stops them. He tells Joel, like, I told you, you, you shouldn't be out tonight. Um, and essentially says, I'm doing this by the book. Like, get on your knees. I got to test you all to see if any of you are infected. And Joel and Tess are like, what the fuck are you doing, man? We've worked with you before. Um, we'll just pay you off. We'll give you half of what we make off of this deal. At one point, they say, we'll give you everything we make off of this deal just because they want to avoid him testing Ellie, who I, at that point, they don't even know. Ellie knows, but uh, Tess and Joel do not know that Ellie uh, has been bit. And is not is infected, but is not showing symptoms of anything. Well, because Marlene um, tells Ellie 
earlier, right? You can't tell yes. anybody this because as tell soon as anyone, you do, yeah. you'll be killed. Yeah, basically. So then uh, the officer tests 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 Joel. They both come back green. Uh, he tests Ellie and Ellie stabs him in the leg. Uh, a fight kind of ensues. Uh, Joel steps in front of of Ellie to kind of protect her uh, from this Fedra agent because he's pointing his gun at her. Um, and then again, you kind of, without it blatantly flashing back, I don't think it does, but you kind of get the sense that Joel is envisioning or i think it does briefly flash does, back to yeah. the officer yeah which is so it is a little bit more in your face in this moment but it does briefly flash back and show you the the a the military man as i call him um pointing his gun at sarah uh and then joel kind of goes berserk and uh murders this man uh with his bare fists so just caves his face in with his with his fists um and that's kind of you know like it's just this intense moment and then tess and uh joel then or tess then picks up the the kind of uh tester and sees that it's red and sees that ellie is infected uh, or seemingly infected as joel is still reeling from murdering this man with his bare hands uh looks over to her and she has to go i can't believe i'm telling the first people that i meet when i'm not supposed to and tells them uh that she was bit days ago um and has not turned yet she is fine she has some scarring on her arm but it seems like it has it stops immediately after that um it almost like so it, then, it almost looks like a tattoo but without any ink in it or like um there's something else as well like uh like a branding right yeah it's interesting you say tattoo eric well i know uh, i know way, what happens that'll be so. way in the future uh that's not anything but anyway so um basically you know, Tess and Joel are very skeptical of this, um, but uh, they reluctantly um, say, like, we got to do this deal and get this stuff from the Firefly. So let's just take her and give her to these people and get this over with. Um, so they walk off into they go through a fence that says you're now entering uh, basically the infection zone, right? Or yeah. something like that. And then they walk as never let me down again plays as they walk into, Oh, you go cut to the radio and never uh, let me down again uh, starts playing yeah. uh, by Depeche mode. And then being an 80s song. Um, and you basically see them walk out into the kind of destroyed uh, city of Boston. That's all been bombed and things like that. Which looks Depeche like the mode maze plays. runner. It does, yeah. Um, which it looks like the video game The Last of Us, Eric. Okay. Well, no, no, no. What, I, what I'm uh, saying I is, I think what is like like Maze Runner people took like it from Alex Last Gar of Us, yeah. Garland and Wes Ball have taken yeah. huge influences from the game and put it into. Their oh, you're even works. seeing that. Is Wes Ball the guy that's doing the new Planet of the Apes movie? Yeah. Yeah, and even that one image that they took uh, for the new Planet of the Apes movie looks like Last of Us. So I guess good choice. Uh, but I love that use of cutting to the radio and using Depeche Mode and then walking out. And we talked a little bit in our review of how great the licensed soundtrack uh, for HBO shows, but also specifically for Last of Us, because that's something that's utilized in the second game, but not so much in the first game. But it's such a perfect way to be like, Oh, that you're entering danger, right? Like it's such great storytelling of Ellie figuring out that code, the song coming on the radio as they walk out. And then the first episode of the last of us concludes. 
Eric, any final thoughts on those last moments? Yeah, I just wrote uh, down in the last moments that um, <clears throat> Fedra, again, um, you know, being a dictatorship, a, a, a fascist regime, also weirdly reminded me of Eastern Europe and the Iron Curtain at that time period. And then when they're going out into the wilderness, um, it weirdly also reminded me of, of Tarkovsky's Stalker, where like you're entering yeah. sort of like this weird unknown zone that you could end up in kind of a surrealist state. And especially everything that we're seeing in this first episode we're only seeing from the point of view of these characters that are experiencing it, you know, from the first time in the first half or have experienced it in the second, but we haven't ourselves experienced the full um, weight of what is going on in this world yet. You know, we're, we're, yeah. we're still early on where we haven't really stepped into the darkness. We haven't really stepped into what's going to be, the danger you know and and what what the the kind of i guess the the supernatural aspect of it or the science fiction aspect of it is you know we've only gotten the human side of it for the most part with again you know little bits of horror kind of baked into this episode and i'm going to repeat this because it's also I, i'm not going to i'm not going to sugarcoat this is this is my rotten tomatoes quote literally this is it an unflinching start to a perilous journey ahead. Episode one hits the ground running because Druckmann and Mason don't hold back. And this episode really doesn't like, it really is telling you everything that this show is Love going it. to be. And with that, I think we're in for one very dark journey uh, into the heart of darkness. So. Yeah, man, I can't wait for, talk about next week's episode i thought this was a fantastic first episode being 120 minutes basically feature length <laughs> like yeah. like uh, petite maman is shorter than than this movie and and that's a feature and um we basically got a feature length last of us movie There's pancakes almost. in that too and, they make pancakes um, in that. they do they they don't make pancakes in this episode uh thankfully um but yeah man i thought it was a great first episode like if you, if you guys want our full thoughts on like how we felt about this show please go back and, and listen to that spoiler free review but um i thought this was an excellent start production value is incredible it has that hbo polish i thought that casting um is pitch perfect um Again, it took me a second to get used to Bella Ramsey, but even on the second watch, um, I really found myself loving her performance as well. I think Pedro Pascal is a perfect as Joel. Um, uh, Gabriel Luna as as Tommy, I think, was excellent. Like that, the way that this is split out into basically like that true epilogue, that sort of secondary epilogue, and then this big chunk in the twenty years later, selling setting up what this actual uh, story is going to be about. Uh, I think was so perfectly paced and it didn't feel like, you know, you just wanted more immediately. And I think this is going to be perfect, like appointment viewing Sunday night, HBO, everyone, you know, locked into their TVs at 9 PM and, and immediately going, I can't wait for next week. And I hope that's what uh, people felt from this episode. I hope people who love the game uh, like myself went through and saw the differences and, and and we're open to the changes that they've made and and i hope people like on your end eric who's never experienced this story uh like my wife my mom i'm gonna tell like a bunch of people to watch this and i hope they watched it tonight um 
and I, I can't wait to see what people think week to week. And I think it is a perfect show for that because I feel like it wouldn't have worked maybe in a movie because there's too much to put into it where I, maybe the pacing would have been condensed too much to really have that emotional weight that this story uh, has. And I feel like the week to week, both for video games, both for this story and just to decompress after each episode, because yeah. I feel like that's that's it's a lot at times we mentioned all the kind of really dark shit that happened in this episode and it is a very bleak world that they're in. So uh, I think the weekly format on HBO is perfect. And I thought this first episode uh, directed by Craig Mazin, I don't know if we mentioned that at the beginning written by Neil Druckmann and Craig Mazin. Um, the one thing we haven't touched on is that uh, originally this was going to be directed by, um, sorry, the Russian filmmaker Eric. Yeah, the director uh, of Beanpole. Um, uh, uh, Bagalov, right? Um, yeah, uh, I'm just gonna bring uh, it up now because yeah. I don't have it on me. So no, it's okay. I know his last name is Bagalov, but um, Kantemir, Kantemir Bagalov, yes, yeah. I believe is his name. Yeah, and he originally was supposed to direct these first uh, two episodes, and you even see his his cinematographer Ksenia Sereda, I think, um, or Serena, um, was still the cinematographer on this. Uh, but he was replaced due to creative differences with uh, Craig Mazin uh, directing this this first episode. So uh, I'm curious to see, like, w- I wonder what happened there. Do you think maybe they wanted to be because I could see even with the filmmaking that it was very faithful to the game and having, you know, the director of Beanpole, maybe he wanted to have it more of that indie, really dark kind of feel to it. And maybe they wanted it to be more like, oh, let's make this look like the game and and have that kind of polish and that. Um, and be maybe even more faithful than he was trying to make it. I don't know. We're all speculating, well, but it is I interesting. Mean, the that- other thing to speculate as well, and this is just, you know, again, this is outsiders looking in and, and we don't know, but, you know, I mean, he also fled Russia um, yeah, and is now too. living yeah. in the U.S. And I know that he was at the time working on his second feature, which I think he is now working on developing as because it was supposed to be a russian set film but now he's working on it as i think either it's taking place in new jersey or new york um i believe the title of it's called butterfly jam and um ari aster is an executive producer on it so um maybe that as well kind of where it was like i i'm just not i'm just i want to focus on something that's mine and like i'm just not interested in anything else right now and and again you know maybe just you know having to leave you know his country and come here and seek you know, asylum and, and, and what have you, maybe that was a part of it. So, you know, there's a lot going on, but there will be episodes that we will talk about where there are, you know, filmmakers that you wouldn't necessarily expect to direct episodes of an HBO show. It's not the stock HBO director. It's not the Tim Van. They have a couple of those people, but yeah, but but there's, uh... yeah, there's still some people that are not kind of your, you know, quintessential choices to direct uh, a mainstream TV show, which I think is saying something about what the ambition of a a season's worth of television like this is trying to attempt, which is again, kind of going for the tone that it's, it's not going to cater to conventional norms. And I think that that is actually very exciting. Yeah. I'm so glad this first episode lived up to my very lofty expectations and even exceeded those, which I couldn't have even dreamed of. So um, 
thank you all for listening or watching. Uh, I hope you guys also enjoyed the show. If you've listened to us for the last hour and, and a half, I'm assuming you either enjoyed that first episode or maybe you didn't and wanted to hear what uh, people thought about breaking it down uh, scene by scene. We're going to do this every Sunday. Um, Sunday. Hopefully, I mean, knock on wood, we are going to do it every single Sunday at 10 p.m. right after the episode airs. You can come right back here to the cast of us. Uh, an untitled HBO Last of Us podcast and hear Eric and myself break down the episode scene by scene. We will be back next Sunday uh, for episode two, which is called Infected. I don't think I talked about what the title of this episode was. No, maybe want to mention that. It's okay. We'll do it every following episode. I'll mention what the episode titles are. We're still, this is a new show, everyone. Um, But if you like this, we do a couple other shows that we would love for you guys to go check out. Uh, They are called the Untitled Movie Podcast and Untitled Movie Reviews. Uh, The Untitled Movie Podcast is kind of a conversational show where Eric and I break down everything that's happening in the entertainment industry, whether it's award shows, trailers, news, kind of just the bullshit we've been watching at home. Um, You know, anything we, we talk about for way too long on that show. And then on Untitled movie reviews. Uh, we review the newest in uh, television and streaming and 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 movies. Obviously, movies. It's called Untitled Movie Reviews over there. Um, so go check that out as well. One stop shop for everything, including the cast of us. Head over to our Letterboxed, which is Untitled underscore Movies. You can get all of our podcasts, YouTube videos, um, everything over there. So we really appreciate you guys uh, listening or watching this first episode, uh, or kind of the you know sort of second episode but the review go back and watch that review or listen to the review we don't really spoil anything in the show or i i'm proud that eric and i got have gotten very good at talking about things without saying anything at all about the plot or anything like that we can tell you our feelings without telling you anything that happens in a show or a movie so uh go check that out as well um, as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. Uh, you can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com and here on the cast of us. And you can follow, follow me on all those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric March, and you can find more of my video reviews on rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on all the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. Don't forget the cake. <laughs>